I am really glad that you are here this morning. There are more of you here than I thought would be, uh, with it being January 1st, so you've earned an extra gold star in my book. And uh, if your new New Year's resolution was to attend church more, uh, congratulations, you're batting a thousand. So um, it's a good way to start the new year. You know, the whole New Year resolution thing is just one of the traditions from around the world that people observe each new year. And I was curious what other cultures and other places around the world did to celebrate the new year. In my house growing up, we we ate uh, corned beef and boiled cabbage and black-eyed peas for good luck. I don't know where that came from. I thought that was kind of weird. But you know what they do in Denmark? They throw dinner plates at each other. And the more dinner plates you break on your friends, the better luck you're going to have the next year. In Greece, they hang an onion outside their front door. I would do that to keep neighbors away, but they do it for good luck. And then in Colombia, this is my favorite of the ones I came across, they do something they call the potato test. They take three separate potatoes, one peeled, one unpeeled, and one half peeled, and they put them under their bed. And then at the stroke of midnight, they reach underneath their bed and they grab a potato. And depending upon what they grab will determine whether they have a year filled with good luck, a year filled with bad luck, or a year filled with just a little bit of both. You know, as I was reading about these different traditions, there was one common thread in all of them. And that common thread was luck. And there's a couple of different ways to look at luck, a couple of different definitions that float around out there. One views luck as somewhat of an unseen force, some entity that influences your life. And then there's the other definition, which is it's just blind chance, a roll of the dice. But the heart of the idea of luck is that there are things that are going to happen to us, things that we are going to experience in life that are outside of our control. There are things that we don't get to determine how or why they happen to us. And for all the control freaks like me in the room, that makes me really uncomfortable. Because nobody likes to feel out of control. But control freaks like me, we need to manage the situation. We need to know how to handle whatever situation comes at us in life. So just to be clear, I'm not really talking about luck this morning. I'm talking about how do we approach life when things come our way that are outside of our control. Because nobody likes to feel that way. I'm a big fan of of therapy and, and counseling and Years ago, I was, in, I was with, a, with a counselor, and we were talking, and she said, you know, you, you are really intolerant of uncertainty, and uh, she, is, she is exactly right. I am very intolerant of uncertainty. Anyone else feel that way? You're intolerant of uncertainty? You don't like not knowing? You want to know exactly what's coming and how it's going to happen? I think we all are to a degree, but how many things in life can we really be certain about? And what do we do with the uncertainty that we are going to face 
in this next year. So I guess the real question is less about the uncertainty and more about the anxiety that that uncertainty brings. I already told you I'm a control freak. I'm also an anxious person. Anxiety and me, we are, we are close. We know each other very, very well. I'm going to guess that there are several of us in this room who is also close with anxiety. According to the National Institute of Health, 30% of all American adults will struggle with anxiety at some point in their lives. And that translates almost identically to our even more anxious kids at 32%. We are an anxious country filled with anxious people. But anxiety is nothing new. It's been around forever, from the time that Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden till today. Anxiety is just a part of life for so many of us. And while not all of us will struggle with chronic anxiety, all of us have suffered or will suffer from it at some point in time. And it shows up again and again and again in the Bible. All these Bible stories have characters that are struggling and suffering from anxiety. And so this morning, I just wanted to focus on one story to see what we can learn. And so we're going to talk just a little bit about a guy named Joshua. Now, Joshua, uh, he has his own book in the Bible named Joshua, and he's mentioned a few times here and there throughout the rest of the Bible, but he's not exactly an A-list Bible character, right? He's a solid B-lister. He's up there with, you know, Esther and Barnabas and, and people like that. Like, if you met him on the street, you'd have to say, now, what story do I know you from? But they're, they're right there. They're right there in the mix. And Joshua is one of these guys that is important, but we don't really know his story. So Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. He was on the mountaintop with Moses when he received the Ten Commandments. And because he was with Moses during that time, he was the only other Israelite than Moses who wasn't implicated in that whole golden calf fiasco they had. So upon Moses' death, God appoints Joshua as Israel's new leader. So Joshua is now leading the Israelites, the same Israelites that had wandered in the desert for the last 40 years. But now, since Moses has died, God is allowing Joshua to lead the Israelites into the land of Canaan, which we know as the promised land. And that is where our story begins. So in Joshua chapter 1, it will be on screen behind me, it says this, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on the land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness into the south of the Lebanon mountains into the north from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you for as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you 
or abandon you. Now, these are some pretty strong promises coming from God to Joshua. Whatever land you set your foot on, it's because I have given it to you. Your enemies will not defeat you, and I will be with you. I promise I will not fail you. And these all sound pretty airtight coming from God, but the Israelites were still facing a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainties. They knew the land that they were entering was already occupied and they were going to have to fight for it, but what if they didn't win? They knew they spent the last 40 years wandering in the desert and that the promised land was just on the other side of the river, but what if they couldn't make it across? They knew they couldn't turn back and go back to Egypt at this point and there was nothing else out there for them. But what if it didn't all work out the way God said it was going to? What if, what if, what if? What if is an important question, but it's also a complicated one. Because what if can change depending upon what it's paired with. If what if is paired with wonder and optimism about the future, you get people like Walt Disney and Steve Jobs. If what if is paired with a sense of justice and a love for common man, you get people like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King. If it's paired with faith, you get people like Joshua, Ruth, Moses. But if what if is paired with anxiety and uncertainty, who does that get you? Name someone from history that made a difference when they let what if and anxiety determine their future. But I have to imagine, despite all that, that Joshua was still a bit anxious, a little worried about what might be waiting for him on the other side of this river. And the reason I think that is because what God says next to Joshua. So keep going in our, on our scripture passage there, starting at verse 6. God says, Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left, then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, anytime we read an ancient text like the Bible, we have to become detectives. We have to interrogate the text. We have to find out why what was said was said. And in this scenario, we see Jesus saying to Joshua three times in a row, be strong and courageous. Well, why would he do that? Maybe God has OCD and he feels he needs to say something three times in a row for it to work. Or maybe it's because he knows that Joshua is having some anxiety. He 
has just been tasked with leading the Israelites, the same ones who've been wandering for the last 40 years, into an occupied land. And he's probably asking a lot of what-ifs. He's probably a little fearful, a little anxious. Maybe it's because God knows that Joshua is going to face some uncertain times, some uncertain things. And he wants to offer Joshua comfort and guidance. He wants him to remember that God has his back. What I find so comforting in this passage is God's attentiveness to Joshua's emotional needs on top of his physical and spiritual ones. That God recognizes what Joshua needs from him and he provides it. He offers clear comfort and guidance to him. This is the God that delivered the Israelites from Egypt, who split the Red Sea. The God who provided food for them every single day in the desert, who went before them and stood behind them. That God is reminding Joshua, I've got your back. I'm with you. And I have to be honest, I would love to hear those words from God myself. I'm guessing a lot of us in here would like to hear those words from God himself. Because wouldn't that make life so much easier to hear those words? To audibly hear them? Be strong and courageous because I've got you. Wouldn't that make the what-ifs in life seem less intimidating? that unexpected diagnosis a little easier to face, that life-altering job change a little less scary. Because, yeah, this is uncertain, but God's got my back. But my guess is that most of us in this room haven't ever heard those words audibly come from God. And even if we did, let's be honest, many of us would try to explain what we heard away. We'd come up with some other explanation for what we experienced. And as much as as I wish what God said to Joshua here was a promise to us, this isn't our promise. We have this really bad habit of taking promises that God makes to other people in the Bible and applying them to us and saying, no, this is my promise. But here's the reality. God didn't say to us that he would give us whatever land we set foot on. And he didn't say to us that your enemies will never defeat you. And he didn't say to us, you're going to be successful in everything you do. He said those things to Joshua. So while we can learn from Joshua and about the way God works with his people from this story, that he provides comfort, that he provides guidance, these are not our promises. But the good news is there are tons of promises that God has made to us in the Bible. And there are just a few that I want to highlight real quickly as we head into this new year. Promises 
that we can claim as our own. Promises that God has made to all of us. So the first promise I want to show you comes from Psalm 37. And it's a psalm of David, and it says this, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. So there's actually two things promised in this little passage. The first is that God directs the steps of His people. The phrase there is actually, He makes firm the steps of His people. He provides solid footing to the ground His people walk on. He makes sure that the steps we take when we're following Him are the right ones. But He also promises that when we stumble, not if we stumble, when we stumble, He will be there to catch us and to hold our hands, to get us through to make sure we don't fall completely. And I really like this promise because it feels like a very realistic promise to me. Because God's not promising that we won't ever experience hard times, that we won't make mistakes, that we won't stumble. He promises that when we do, He will be there to catch us. That He will be there to walk with us. That God still has our back. The second promise that I I want us to claim comes from the book of Matthew, and this is a promise from Jesus himself. And it's from Matthew chapter 11, and, and Jesus says this, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now this isn't just a promise. It's also an invitation. Come to me. And it's all inclusive. It's to anybody and everybody who is heavy burdened. Who is weary. Have you ever felt that way? Weary. I was trying to think of how best to describe weary. And the best way that I could come up with, it's that place where you're so tired. You don't have the energy to be angry anymore. You just don't have it in you to fight anymore. You're beyond mad or sad. You're just exhausted. Spiritually mentally, emotionally, physically. And that is a universal human experience. Weary. And maybe 2022 made you weary. Jesus invites those of us who are weary to come to him. Those of us that are heavy burdened, weary of the what-ifs and the uncertainties and the anxieties. Jesus invites us, come and find rest in me. Let me teach you how to renew your energy in my ways. New strength and a new way of living. 
And he tells us, you're going to learn from me how to carry life's burdens. And those burdens, they're lighter. They're different. Because they're not just your burdens anymore. You're not carrying the burdens alone anymore. You have somebody helping you. See, Jesus, he says that his yoke is easy. And and a yoke is the plow harness that would go over the neck and shoulders of a a beast of burden, which, as a side note, is an awesome name for a wrestler. And if I were in the WWE, my name would be Beast of Burden. So (laughs) if you see on pay-per-view one night that Beast of Burden is taking on somebody, just know that's me. I'm sorry. I digress. I had to put that in there. But, but I had this picture in my mind of somebody struggling under the weight of a heavy yoke, which would be the name of my arch nemesis in the WWE, the heavy yoke. So if you see the beast of burden versus the heavy yoke on pay-per-view, that's me and somebody else. But it's this picture of somebody struggling under that weight and they're about to fall and Jesus runs up and he throws himself underneath half of that big heavy plowshare. And all of a sudden the weight that was just moments ago crushing you, it's not so bad anymore. It's manageable. Have you ever been carrying something that was so heavy but... but If you had somebody that was helping you, it might not be so bad. That if there was somebody else coming alongside you, walking with you, that it might even be tolerable, that it wouldn't be so hard to bear that burden. That's the promise that Jesus makes to us. That he will help us bear our burdens. And that's that's another important distinction. Because he doesn't say you will have no burdens. He says that he will help us bear our burdens. It's another realistic promise. He doesn't promise to take away our burdens. He promises that they will be easier. Not because life gets easier with Jesus. Not because life just automatically gets better because Jesus is in it. But because he walks alongside you carrying the burdens with you. And I, I don't know about you, but I find that to be really comforting. Heading into a new year that's filled with uncertainties, I'm glad to know that I'm not carrying it alone. Now, the last promise I want to talk about this morning doesn't really come from the Bible, per se, but... It comes from the witness and the testimony of Christians all over the world for the last 2,000 years. And the promise that they can make, and I guess I can make, is that following Jesus is worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it because if Jesus is who he says he is and who we believe him to be, we don't need luck next year. We don't need luck this year. We don't need luck at all and we don't need to feel anxious or uncertain 
because we have promises that we can hold on to. Let's pray.